Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in these current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Tina Kelly. Tina is the manager and owner of The Hair Lounge, a unique salon based in Pelsall Village, West Midlands. Tina, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you, Scott. Good to be here. Thank you, of course, for taking the time to join us, Tina. And um, the purpose of this discussion is really to establish your take on leadership. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With, of course, the emergence of COVID-19 and different business leaders having to adapt and really feel their way through this uncharted territory. Tell me, for somebody working within the services industry such as yourself, how has it been coping with the last few weeks and months and indeed the lockdown? Because I can imagine it's been a tremendous challenge. Uh, It has indeed, Scott. It's been uh, initially quite devastating to have built up a business from from scratch, really, um, to have to close the doors at um, very short notice, really, was massive and unprecedented. Um, it, it, It was about... You had to think on your feet. That was the difficulty. There was such varied information being given and it was quite vague at times. So you had to sort of feel your way through that um, and and make decisions based on um, gut and news and from just a variety of sources, really. But that's what we did. So we closed the doors and we are now in the process of um, getting the salon ready to reopen and to deal with the the many, many guidelines that are are given to make it safe. And you talked about um, a lack of clarity previously uh, during this uh, pandemic, Tina. How um, is it looking for what that new normal is going to look like, these new sort of COVID secure guidelines, as it were? Is it clear what is going to be expected of you going forward? Um, There is is a lot of help being given by um, Hair and Beauty Council and and Federation um, and obviously the the, the news and the guidance from the government. But it is scary because obviously we've got to cut the capacity down by probably 60%. So the biggest challenge that, that I will face will be making that business financially viable with um, less people and uh, working with um, social distancing in an industry that is reliant on working in close close proximity and physical contact with, with people. So there's an awful lot to sort out. Um, but we are doing um, lots of things. I'm keeping in touch with my team regularly, uh, looking at putting my team into two teams so I can do shift work extend the opening times of the salon. Um, obviously, there's all the PPE equipment to look at, um, perspect screens in between the, the uh, work areas. So it's going to be very, very different. Um, but again, it's about thinking creatively and using the information you've got to and the team that you've got around you to make it work because we have to be solution-focused in these very, very unprecedented times. 
That's exactly it, uh, Tina. You do have to uh, be uh, solution focused. And speaking of the team, how have they actually responded to this? Because there's been an awful pressure, amount of pressure rather, on leaders at the moment uh, to provide some much needed reassurance um, about um, the future for their employees and their teams amid all of the uncertainty. And with that lack of information and uncertainty about the future, even though business is planning for certain eventualities, of course, reopening dates, for example, um, there isn't really that much else that the leader knows compared to those around them, is there? So just keeping the communication channels open and providing that reassurance has been something of a challenge, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, But I think, again, that's the role of a leader um, and senior and senior staff to make the staff feel reassured and to know that we are coming back because obviously everyone is worried about their future and their livelihoods um, from the seen from myself in the business right down to my apprentice. So um, it is just about talking that through and then I am um, sharing the ideas that I've got to make the salon safe for reopening and obviously encouraging ideas from the team so that they feel that they've got ownership on the reopening and that they will also feel safe themselves because it's got everybody to consider in this scenario. Um, and, it, and it isn't clear and it will change and it will evolve and it is just about clear communication, reassurance um, and being proactive. And have you been inspired by the uh, the way that they've responded as well? Because we've heard a great deal of stories, haven't we, during this time of people really going above and beyond whatever has been expected of them, whether, of course, they've been furloughed and they've been involved in um, just keeping communication channels going, whether they've had to continue working on site, whether they've had to adapt to working remotely. And we're really seeing... Um, a sense that this crisis, I mean, albeit it has been a tragic time, has really brought us all together as well, hasn't it? Definitely. I think there's lots of things that have come out um, of this pandemic, Scott. I mean, I think it's made a lot of people reset their values, to be honest. Um, and hopefully there'll be more of a focus on well-being of everybody because it had got a bit, it had reached fever pitch, I think, in terms of um, the working world before this. Um, so, for me, my I've been absolutely blown away by my team because at the start of this pandemic, when my salon closed, I was actually at a family wedding in Thailand. So, my manager was living with um, the daily news and the updates and then not knowing what to do. And she made the decision to close the doors on the 20th of March. And we were the first, one of the first salons in the area to do that. Um, and I was really proud of her leadership that she that she took to do that um yeah and she's she you know just took care of the staff and and the clients and and it was amazing and I have to say in my career all the way um all the way through from when I was 16 it's middle leaders that have inspired me the most so uh, you know I think she truly stepped up to it before that um and did an absolutely brilliant job if I'm honest it's interesting that you talk about um, those sorts of uh, people having the most profound influence on you throughout uh, your career, uh, Tina. Is there anybody that really sticks out who has really had a profound influence on you in your leadership style as you have developed? Um, just a couple of people, really. From Because um, I was initially a hairdresser when I left school um, and I, I worked in a, a local salon. And it was, again, it was a middle leader who took time out with me. Um, and it was her, her her passion for the job and her drive and her, her personal desire to do the best she could. 
Um, and I think those kind of attributes are, are what are infectious, really, to a team. And then when I went into teaching, I taught hairdressing and then I taught in a comprehensive school for 14 years. And it, there was another head of year who, again, was a, a middle leader. And I don't know whether it's because you have more day-to-day contact with those leaders when you are starting out. Um, but again, he was inspirational and it was just being really good at his job, really positive, not getting into the negativity and, um, you know, just wanting to do the best every day. So I get they're the kind of attributes that have, have inspired me. Mm, they they're almost sort of mentor figures these examples aren't they and um it's people yeah. like that especially in the business world who can sometimes be some of the most influential leaders out there and i think sometimes recognition for those sorts of people can fall by the wayside in a sense given that we do tend yeah. to associate leadership with politics the public eye celebrity sports that sort of thing yes definitely um i mean there's no doubt that, that i've had head teachers and um, I don't know, senior lecturers that have um, really impressed me. But, um, it, you know, you have more daily contact with um, with your direct manager and, and, the man- and their manager rather than the very high up figures, really. So I suppose I'm looking at um, that's what I've actually seen on a day-to-day working basis. And based on what you've learned over the years from obviously experience and uh, these people, Tina, if you could actually go back 10, 15 years, um, is there anything that you would do differently going forward or would you just embrace the journey that you've been on already? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've had a very interesting career. I think it's just been in education and hairdressing and it's always come 360 degrees. Um, I would just tell myself to have... Um, a little bit more um, confidence in myself, and I think that's what I try to um, to inspire in my team. Um, and no, I, I, I would just definitely embrace the journey. I've I've loved it, loved every minute of it. So, if you were to actually give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role within a business, is that sort of have belief in yourself? That message, the first sort of piece of advice that you give them. Yeah, and then the other one would be resilience. You have to be resilient as a leader because, you know, there are times you have to step outside of the, um, of the I don't know, the initial day-to-day friendship zone and you have to take charge and you have to make strong decisions. So you've got to have resilience to pull that back because you can't always be the good guy. But you've got to have a balance with the whole load of attributes. So, so that would be one thing I would say. Important word, resilience. And I think for those uh, businesses that do, of course, uh, make it through uh, this uh, current uh, situation as well with uh, COVID-19, um, that will breed resilience, won't it? And there will be some positives to come from this in the sense that there's experience now uh, within businesses of crisis management. People have had to go out of their comfort zones and really push the boundaries. And that's going to sort of help um, with their development in a way, isn't it? I think so, because we're literally in survival mode. Now, so it'll be, um, we'll be thinking on your feet and, and it will be um, relying on people to help you as you go through and your team to, to step up. So, yes, definitely. And I think resilience is a good word, to be honest. I would agree with that absolutely, Tina. And if we do think about um, the uh, the future now, before we do wrap things up um, on the uh, the program uh, this morning, do give me an idea of uh, what you envision the next twelve months holding for yourself and for the hair lounge, and what you hope to achieve not just in getting through COVID nineteen, hopefully during that period, but also beyond the pandemic and into the future. 
Um, well, yeah. So initially, I would like to, um, like very initially, I'd like to get the salon open and I'd like to get it um, everybody comfortable in there and for the turnover to be that it at least breaks even and then begin to build up the profit. And then I think once um, once we've got all that established and, and things ease, then we can look to um, to move the salon forward and to obviously develop the team. Um, I would like to buy another salon and, and expand. Um, and that was in the pipeline before this happened. Um, that's had to be put on the wayside now. But obviously I'd like to get that back on and plough ahead. It's going to be very interesting on the one hand to see what the new normal uh, will look like once we start um, to see things opening up again in the industry, Tina, for sure. But also let's hope that we do start seeing that upward trajectory sooner rather than later as well and that those expansion plans that were put on hold can be back on the agenda. Um, yeah. I think it would actually be fantastic to um, even catch up in the uh, the next uh, year or so, Tina, once we get an idea of what's going on, uh, just to see how things are getting on in that respect from a listener's point of view. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be really good. It would for um, sure. Um, and it's a shame that we're just about out of time on today's programme because otherwise we could discuss it um, all um, afternoon, I'm sure. But thank you um, ever so much, Tina, for your time today. It's been really, really enjoyable having you on the programme, but also a really informative experience as well. And I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I've it. been wonderful, Tina. Do take care and do stay safe as well with everything still going on. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Tina Kelly, manager and owner of The Hair Lounge. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his professional footballing career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, as a former England international, Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. 
was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited, just had a, look, had a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've you got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, Acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even. Uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, in a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out, I think, looking at so that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation and I think that's you're completely focused you're always thinking about uh, things thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.